Good morning, ladies. How are you? If you've just been having a wonderful time this morning, let's give the Lord another hand of praise. And welcome to uh, today's session, our Freedom Panel. And uh, I was listening uh, to Ms. Temple um, talking about, you know, usually this time we do the, the health panel. Well, and, and of course I heard um, Dr. Perry's words and the truth of the matter is these freedom tips that you're going to get is going to be those things that you're just going to have to follow the tip that's been given, being obedient to it. And so we have some wonderful ladies that are well qualified to answer your questions. And uh, I am looking for them. If we will have uh, our panel, our freedom panel guests to come up, Dr. Ann McDaniel, uh, Ms. Gina Taylor and uh, Minister Beverly Davis. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for them. Wonderful, wonderful. So, is Dr. McDaniel here? So, she is probably coming, but um, do we, have you guys, uh, some of you, usually we'll pass out uh, a little card for you to put your questions on and um, our, our focus, again, is from John uh, 8.36. It said, whom the Son set free is free indeed. And But as we've been talking, uh, the keys to freedom, not only prayer and worship and praising God and believing God, uh, the Word of God uh, stands above any life practical tips. But as we're fleshing out the Word, sometimes there's those basic practical tips that can help us in terms of walking out the word. So do we have any beginning questions that anyone is just anxious to ask? Any life questions? And you may have to just yell it out. And I'll keep doing this because I am just like blind with these lights. <laughs> so I'm trying to uh, see your faces already here. So very difficult. Anyone has a question they want to start with? Okay. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to start with uh, Minister Beverly Davis as we are hoping that Dr. Ann McDaniel is also going to be able uh, to join us. And um, Minister Davis, tell us just a little bit about yourself and some things that, uh, of course, makes you qualified to sit on this panel today. <laughs> I think everybody knows just about everything about me. I try to be pretty transparent with my life because uh, I found that Y'all need me to talk in the mic? Yes. You know, I'm really loud, though. <laughs> Let me see how you do it. West side. <laughs> anyway, I was born here in Savannah, Georgia. I was born in Savannah, Georgia, on Abercorn Street in Georgia Infirmary Hospital. I, I had most of my um, young life spent in West Savannah, Georgia, actually, and um, went through high school. Had a pretty tough time at life. We were very, very poor, and uh, my mother was sight impaired. My dad left, so I have a lot of experiences under my belt. I had my heart broken, had my, my body give out on me. I've had all sorts of things that God has somehow wrapped up in a package to uh, help me to minister to other people. I actually got married when I was 18 years old, and my mama told me not to marry that boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was at Florida, <clears throat> excuse me, at Florida A&M University, and I decided I was in love, and she didn't know what she was talking about. So that kicked my life into a whole different gear. I left college. I finished college. Everybody knows I was an old woman. I was 55 years old. My classmates called me hey. Mama. Hey, hey. <laughs> Amen. And I went on to get my master's degree. Went on and. Pledge of sorority, I did the step show with the young folk. Hello. And um, so uh, my life, although it's been pretty tough many times, it has helped me to have compassion, to have uh, an understanding of where you are, because for the most part I've been there. I've been the underdog for a long time. And so it's, it's uh, for me, 
most of what I have to say comes out of experience. It's birthed out of having to overcome many, many difficult situations. So if you had one life lesson, one freedom tip, this was your last tip you're going to give. And um, talking to a young lady that's starting out, um, college, we have our college-age ladies, and uh, all of us in here are uh, above that. What's the one life lesson? I know there are many. I talk to you a lot. Um, Minister Davis is the individual that uh, is over our hospital homebound ministry. She talks to a lot of broken people. But is there some common thread of things that you see when you talk to people, the thing that people most commonly get stuck in? Well, most of what we are, we are uh, broken people for the most part. We live in a fallen world, and our sin nature will override what God says if, it, if you let it. I would, my greatest tip to anybody is don't make your judgments with your emotions. Don't make your decisions with your emotions. Make your decisions based on the word, which is going to go against your grain. Because my grain is to tell you, oh, I'm from West Savannah. My grain is, I know you didn't say that to me. The natural me. The natural me is not forgiving. But I have to remember the word and make my, my decisions about how I'm going to handle something. Sometimes I have to just sit there and say, just take it. Don't answer, because my answer is not going to be God's answer. So because it does rub against my grain, I'll choose to let you feel like you won so I can win. Man, that's good. That's good. And we also have with us, many of you probably know her, uh, just a wonderful individual, Miss Gina Taylor. And she's been at, amen. She's got a few fans out there. We, uh, Gina's been at Overcoming by Faith for how long? How long have you been at Overcoming by Faith? Since 1989. Since 1989. And Gina is, has uh, served in many capacities at the ministry and college age and uh, doing a lot of wonderful things. But one of the uh, uh, things that I, I do like about her, I like about, well, not just one, many things, Okay. <laughs> But she's a very smart individual. So tell us just a little bit about you. Tell us what you do and some things that would make you qualified to be on this panel. Myself there. Um, <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Gina Taylor. Uh, I, I, I'm currently the executive director at Greenbrier Children's Center. We provide services for children who've been removed from their homes because of abuse, neglect, runaway and homeless children. We also operate two child care centers as well as a family counseling uh, program in Savannah, Georgia. Um, I am a native Savannian. I was uh, born in Savannah at Georgia Infirmary Hospital. And then I didn't know she was from my hood, West Savannah. Hey. Yes. <laughs> so we um, actually, I was born in, uh, at Georgia Infirmary Hospital, grew up in West Savannah. Um, at the age of 10 years old, I had lost both of my parents. Um, both of them had died, and we went to live with my grandparents. And um, so uh, you can imagine, you know, at that age, both of your parents gone, and you just don't know, you know, what you're going to do. And for me, I was the kind of person who automatically, even at 10 years old, went into survival mode, self-survival mode, and um, thinking that when your mother, because my dad, I never really, I never knew, I have no knowledge of him at all. Um, he died before I even had any kind of memory of him. And my mom, I was, as I said, I was 10. And so I went into self-survival mode, even though I had my grandparents, because my thought was, when your mom dies, you know, what do you do? What, what, what happens to you? You have to take care of yourself. The, those were my thoughts at 10 years old. And I often wondered why I, you know, had that experience in life. But I learned later on um, why I had those experiences and why you have the experiences that you have is not just for yourself, but um, you're given the opportunity 
to um, later on, I found, to minister to others who have gone through the same kind of, or had the same kind of experience. Uh, even at Greenbrier Children's Center, as an adolescent, you know, my grandparents used to say, if you don't straighten up, you're going to live at Greenbrier. So I thought Greenbrier was a place for badly misbehaved children. And uh, when I got the job, I told my grandmother, I said, well, you prophesied this into my life. And so here I am at Greenbrier Children's Center. <laughs> but, you know, even as a child, having some of the experiences I had, I understand why I'm at Greenbrier and what I do, why I do what I do and why I'm passionate about that work. And um, had the opportunity to go off to college and um, went to South Carolina State University and came back home. South Carolina State? All right, Bulldogs. And, and then I came back here and to Savannah and um, went to work at Savannah State University. Um, all right, Tigers. <laughs> and got my master's in public administration while I was uh, working there. And so um, it's been quite an experience, you know. Um, one of the things that I learned, because I, I used to have people say, because of my past or what, whatever experience I had, they would say, well, you're not going to do this, you're not going to be able to do that. And I was determined that I was not going to let anybody put a ceiling on how far I could go in life. And, that, and if that is one of the things that I could share with young people, that's what I share because, you know, it's not about who, who or what someone says you can or capable of doing. I knew that God had, or and still continues, I know that my life isn't, it, it isn't over here at what I'm doing now, but I know that um, I have other things that I will accomplish and achieve in life, and so I will not let anybody say what I can or cannot do. So, um, Minister Davis, you, you've spoken a lot about the challenges that you've had in life and different things that you've had to overcome. Um, can you just give us some tips on um, how you have experienced, or have you ever experienced broken dreams? When you look at your life now and you look back, you, the dream that you had for your life, have you experienced broken dreams? <laughs> All of my dreams was broken <laughs> when I married that boy. <laughs> but here's what I learned. <laughs> Were any of my dreams broken? Is she serious? <laughs> Here's what I learned. God is a restorer. Uh, everything that I thought I lost, he's given it back to me. When I buried my husband, they could have rolled me in the grave with him. I thought it was over. But God restored to me everything that the canker worm and the locusts had eaten away. <laughs> And, I, and I'm going to ask you this question. Some people just cringe, but I, I know you well enough to know. How old are you? How old are you? I am 67 years old. Okay. <laughs> now, at 67 years old, you said all your dreams have been broken. <laughs> What, what's a life tip on, because one, one of the things, and some of the people that know me, I just don't have a whole lot of geriatric conversations, okay? I don't think it's, you're over because you're past 50 or whatever, but there seems to be a mindset and a perspective that a lot of people have when they reach a certain age, and if they haven't arrived at a certain destination or a certain point, they just stop dreaming or seemingly stop dreaming or feel that, well, I can't do certain things uh, because I'm past that age. Um, and I know you well enough to know that you haven't given up yet. What keeps you moving forward? In him, I live and move and have my being. Because God has restored so much to me, I just feel like he could give me some more. If I haven't missed a deadline, I'm going to 
apply to get another master's. I want an MBA. I believe I can do it. I believe my brain has enough left. If I haven't missed the deadline, I'll be in school in January. Um, I have a book in, well, I'm through writing my book. I'm going to send it off for copyright, uh, hopefully next week. I think I can do anything. Because God, if I don't rely on me to get it done, if I let him show me my path, if I let him, when I feel the dream in me, I should know it's not too late. If he put it in me, he can bring it out of me. Amen? So, I don't, I don't, I don't let my age, I, I, I'm in a wonder sometimes when I think, am I really that old? Really? Because I just believe that anything, any dream that God plants in my heart, he also gives me the ability to bring it to pass. That's good. That's good. Um, and uh, Gina, will you speak a little bit about um, purpose? That seems to be one of the things that people, you know, when it's like, well, what is it that you want to know is like, well, what's my purpose? You know, when you're ministering to people, people want to know, well, what's my purpose? How do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? How did you really find your purpose? I'm assuming that you have now, but how did you, <laughs> to some, <laughs> but could you just speak about just some, some practical, maybe everyday things that you do in terms of living out your purpose, maybe? I don't know, in terms of, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know that, that I've found it, but um, in terms of children, I knew then that I always wanted to work, I mean, I knew a long time ago, because I always had a, a fond, fondling, a fond love for having children around, mm -hmm. and so I always had children at my house, I always had parties with them, and I've not given birth to children, but I have, I feel like I have a lot of them. And, um, and I knew that's something that I always want to do, something with children. And I still feel like there is more for me to do with children. Um, I also have a desire to, um, to write. Um, I've been part of a group of ladies who um, had written an anthology, and so I'd like to um, take that further. Um, but I think my main purpose is with children. My life's work is with children. So a little bit to prime the audience. Anyone? Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand of praise for that. Anyone has a question? You know, these ladies have, we have someone over here to the far right. Is that Angela Robinson helping? Oh, she's a mic runner today. Amazing. Your question? <laughs> what is the practical, what is the practical application of freedom? When, how do we make an, a practical step when we're involved, when we're already in that entanglement? We're already in our entanglement. How do we practically pitch on when, and walk? When you already feel tangled up, how do you practically get free? Um, sometimes... Well, many times, most of us, we weave this sometimes life of being tangled. We're tangled up in life situations, in marriage situations, in living with people situations, in financial. We've, we've, we've weaved this uh, web around us that we don't want anymore. The practical thing to do is first get it up here. The freedom that you get first comes in your head, comes in your mind, it comes in your soul. You can be free, and then piece by piece. You can't do it sometimes all at once. It took a long time to get here. It took me a long time to spend <laughs> enough money to feel like I was snowed under. I've been there, too. It took a long time to, or a lot of mistakes sometimes, to get myself in a predicament that made me feel trapped. But I found out that you straighten your life out one piece at a time. Let's get this area together. Let's get that area together. And eventually you'll walk out of it. But it's not an instant. 
the freedom first has to come in me. The freedom first has to come in my soul and my mind. And I've been so tangled up in one, <laughs> in one little situation, I had to walk around my house and say, I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of this. I am coming. I said it till it came to pass. One piece at a time. You fix this, fix that, then fix that. Gina, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Um, no, I, I totally agree with um, um, Evangelist Davis. <laughs> Just call me Bev Land. It'll be all right. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I, I totally uh, agree with her. Um, and for me, one of the things I have to do is let go. You heard me say earlier that I was a person who went in self-survival mode thinking I had to do it myself and take care of myself and do it on and thinking it's in my within my power to do it on my own. And so one of the things that I learn and learning is to let go and to to share that, you know, and I and I and in my mind I know that God is is the person, he is the person that, you know, that is helping me and is supporting me, but I heard Ms. Temple say earlier, trust him, trust God. And so that is a lesson that I am continuously learning to trust God. But it is one thing at a time because I will also tend to try to take it all on at one time by myself because I can do this. But, yes, it is one bite at a time and um, knowing that you're not in it in, on your, by yourself. And, you know, the enemy will trick you to think that you're, you know, he'll isolate you and think that, make you think that you're the only one who's going with this or dealing, going through this or, or dealing with this. But no, there are other people that are having the same situations are tangled up just as much as you are. And there is help out there and you don't have to go through it alone. You have and something I want to say add? one more thing. I learned a quote some years ago that, that really was a powerful um, principle for me. When you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Stop. Wow. Yes. Yes. Don't dig it any deeper. If it's fighting in your house, take it. Shut up. I could say that. I already said it. <laughs> stop the argument. People can't argue alone. If it's money, stop charging. Stop buying things you can't afford. Mm -hmm. If it's your job, just stop digging so you can come up. Okay, that's good. We have someone over here to, the, to, the, to my left. Yes, I have a question. Okay. Who, has, who has the microphone? Raise your right hand here. so I can see. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I told y'all I can't see, I'm sorry. I'll come back to this section here next. Go ahead. I'd like to ask a question. Um, I was talking to my daughter-in-law on our way up here, and a question she asked me after I told her a little bit about my life is, if you could um, go back and change anything about your life or do other things differently, is there anything that you would change, things that you would do differently? Say it, Beverly. Y'all have to understand, I was a foolish girl. I wouldn't have married that boy. I caught the bus for family. Wait a minute, you caught the what? The Greyhound bus. I the Greyhound bus. To marry that boy. My mama was right. But tell us this. Tell us this. Speak to the, speak to the young heart. Speak to the, to the sister that may be in the audience that is getting ready to not catch the Greyhound bus but call Uber or Lyft to take her to that boy that everybody can see. She don't need to go, but she's determined. So just speak to that just a tiny bit. What is it that you think as women sometimes that we can't see? when it comes down to love relationships. And I'm not on the panel, but I know your love choices can define you for a very long time. You 67 and still talking about that boy. 
Oh, I loved him. I married him twice. Oh, you did love him. The first time wasn't good enough. <laughs> so here's what I think. What I know now, you need to listen to the voices of the people that love you, that are around you. They can see what you can't see. So it's Most of what God is going to say to you is going to go against the grain of what you think. Yeah. But infatuation kind of blinds you. Um, my, my, my girlfriend and I call it the love fog. You're in the fog, and you can't see. But they can tell you his tooth is in the middle of his mouth. You don't know. <laughs> you don't even know until you look at it, till you, till you come out of the fog and then you look back at the wedding pictures and say, wow. Okay. So listen to the voices of the people that love you, who are around you, who are telling you this is a mistake. Now, one of the things that our pastor says a lot is your friends tell your story. And that's something that we don't want to discount. But to, to your point, it really is important to have someone that you really can, uh, a confidant, someone that's going to tell you the truth. I can truly say that my absolute best friends are the individual that will tell me to my face, you're being foolish, and I can hate them for what they're telling me because I don't want to hear it. But... I know that they have my best interest at heart. Oftentimes, we don't develop relationships with people that we can trust. So when they say, why would you marry somebody with a tooth in the middle of their head? That's the only one they have. You can, you can pause for a minute, even if you get mad. And uh, I know that uh, the, the, the mistake that I could have made when it came down to love choices, that person for me really was my mom. She said, I'm telling you, you can marry him but you're going to be miserable. She says, sometimes in love relationships, you need to listen to your head and not your heart because your heart will deceive you. So you got to have somebody that you trust. And that's a little bit that I'll add with that. A lot of times, a tendency is, and I see it often, you will, and I have seen somebody die that did this, talk to you, 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 until I get to the person that say what I want to hear. When I get to the person that will agree with me, and that's not your real friend, your real friend is going to tell you the truth. And when it was, well, so-and-so said, no, the first five people you talked to told you don't do that. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. Yep. So, Gina, did you have something you want to add to that? Do you have anything that you'd like to go back and uh, change back to the question? <laughs> I guess I would have been married and had children by now. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But sometimes I think, no, it wasn't. Sometimes I think I, it wouldn't have been good for me to have children before now because I don't know that I would have been the best parent. And I, I mean, I've learned a whole lot about parenting and what I do and watching uh, uh, other family members and friends and that kind of thing. But in terms of love relationships, um, we was actually talking about this on the way over here. And I think about some of the people that I was um, involved with and how God really protected me uh, from some of them because I look back at some of them now and I'm going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> But she's right. When you're in it, you get, it's just fog, and you can't see, and you're just so in love, and you just got to have them. But he protected me, and I thank God for that. Yeah. We got a question from front row here. My question is directed to uh, Ms. Taylor. Uh, I noticed you said that you didn't have kids, and you are the executive director at Greenbrier. And um, I work for Georgia Department of Juvenile Justice. So we tend to encounter some of the same kids. Well, in the beginning, I've never had kids. You never had biologically had kids. And um, I kind of didn't like little people. 
<laughs> but God has a sense of humor. And he placed me at Savannah RYDC. At first, I said, Lord, where did I sin? <laughs> what did I do wrong? But now that I've been there eight years, I can see how God has changed my heart to love kids who seemingly who have lost their way. They need that love. They need that person that has that patience that even when they're the worst, to still encourage them. And even with you, you know, how that the journey that you've had, what can you, you know, how can you encourage me to continue to do what I do? Because sometimes, you know, you are in kind of a kid, they're so nice today, you come back two hours later and they cussing you for, and you like, well, what did I? <laughs> Didn't I just do what you asked me? But to maintain, because one time the Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, because I described it, I said, Lord, that's gross darkness out there. He said, but you are the light of the world. <laughs> so speak to that, Gina. Yes. Just speak to that. Well, for, um, for me, um, when I first went to Greenbrier, um, it was really difficult when I heard the stories um, of some of the children, of all of the children, I mean, some, some very traumatic um, experiences that they have had. And I, it would keep me awake at night. And so I had to find another way of dealing with it. And so for me, what I did was I took that and used that as fuel to get them what they needed um, so that they could be successful. I had to take my focus off their experiences so much that it was, you know, kind of debilitating me from doing what I needed to do. So I had to turn it around and use it as fuel. And um, you're absolutely right. Um, and, I, and I stay focused on what their experience has been. And, um, you know, I can't imagine some of the things that these young children have gone through that I would even go through as an adult. So that's where my focus generally stays. And um, yeah, you're right, absolutely right. One minute they're loving and adorable, and then the next second they're cussing you out. And if you, if you don't have that compassion and love for them, you could be turned off and um, feel like this is not where you need to be. But I, I just turn it around and think about what their experiences are. Wonderful. Okay, we got a hand here. Then we have one in the back. And so... Oh, whoever has the microphone, okay. give us a quick question because we're going to get some more okay. in there. Question is this. Um, so, Gina R. Beverly, both of you can address this. Um, when you have, you have children who are in Greenbrier, but then you have these wonderful children that you birthed forth into the world who uh, you've nurtured and given almost everything that you can afford to give them, and they come to you and say, oh, I'm grown, and I don't need to hear what you got to say. And how do you, as a parent... How do you uh, mentally, mentally deal with that without saying, oh, for real? Oh, so you, so Beverly, you you'll be a perfect person to answer that. Answer that, Beverly. Answer that. The scripture says, all souls are mine, says the Lord. So I've, I, I have one son that's, that my sister calls the golden child. He just never has any trouble, I've never had to have any conversations with anybody about any of his behavior. And then I have the other one, <laughs> who is like his mama. So when it's more than I can deal with, I take him to the altar. Mm -hmm. I tell God, you gave him to me. You put him in my hand. I'm at the end of what I can I'm commending him to you now, Lord, and I trust God with him. I heard the Lord tell me one day, he said, trust me with him. I trust God with him. 
And eventually, I watched him turn. So when I'm at the end of what I'm able to do, end of hearing, I've even played the word in his room. When he leave, I turn it on, let it just, there's all these spirits up in here. I go in and rebuke spirits and all of those things. But he has to hear God. And so I commend him to God. I say, you gave him to me. I've done my best. I need you now to take the wheel. Yes. And I trust it. Some, was there someone here? Someone here, and then we'll come to you in the green shirt next. Um, I'm oh. a, a registered nurse, and I mainly work with adults. But lately, in the past year, I was doing some work with children as well. And what I've noticed that children young, I mean, four and five years old, they're beginning to be diagnosed with these mental illnesses and behavior. And I'm just wondering why. Uh, why are they so quick to diagnose these kids Gina? to stereotype them? That has been a really serious concern of mine for the past year. Um, I think it was last year when we had to evacuate um, our children for whatever storm it was. And um, there was a 14-year-old who had this plastic bag of um, medicine. And um, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, what is she doing with this? Why does she have this? And um, she must have, she noticed the expression on my face, I'm sure. And so she said, Ms. Taylor, you see this medicine? I said, yes, why do you have it? What are you doing with it? And she said, um, this is my medicine, I have to take it. This is a 14-year-old, and we're seeing probably 90% of the children that come into our care now are on some type of psychotropic medication. And it is alarming, and it is scary because, and they are dependent on it. So I, I just don't, I don't know what we're going to do about it, but, you know, we have these thoughts about why it might be, you know, their parents may have been on some type of drugs while they were carrying them, and, you know, that could be the reason why their bodies or systems are on, um, on these drugs, but, yeah, it's very alarming, very scary. And one of the things that, that I've learned, or I believe as a healthcare professional, too, sometimes when I face a, a difficult situation, in my mind, I'm thinking, what better person than me, a blood-washed, born-again believer, that God would allow me to be able to interface with that person mm -hmm. and to be able to do that? So it's a great, a great ministry opportunity mm -hmm. as well. Great ministry opportunity. Right here. Good afternoon. This question is for Ms. Taylor. So beyond, obviously, your calling to work with children and your preparation as, um, for your master's in public administration, what else did you do in order to be prepared to work directly with children? Um, I don't know that, because I think, well, when I got out of college, I was a substitute teacher for a while, and then, um, as I said earlier, went to work with uh, college students at Savannah State University, and I've always surrounded myself with children, even when I was younger. And I worked with the college-age ministry at church for a number of years, and um, I just, it just was a natural bent for me. Um, so I don't know that I did anything else academically to prepare for that. It was a natural bent for me. Good. Uh, Minister uh, uh, Bev, uh, speak to what did you do? Did you, you're an educator, do a lot of wonderful things, life coach, so forth. Did you do anything specific to prepare you for what you do now? Did you always know that you would be doing what you're doing now? Or did you have another dream? My granddaddy said I was going to be a teacher. So he saw something in me. Mm -hmm. But it goes back to purpose. I do, you can fight that big fight about purpose. Mm -hmm. What did you call me to do, God? Or you can do what's at your hand to do. Where did he put you? Where's your life? We sing, order my steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Where I find myself right now is right back in West Savannah at Moses Jackson School, teaching some other people how to dig out of the hole that I was born into. Mm. 
I can relate to their problems. I can relate to who they are. I can relate to why they act. You know how we see them acting out in the grocery store, and you're like, good, gracious. No, I was one of them, so I know why you're like that. I take it to be my purpose to kind of, let me, let me tell you how to smooth that out. I'm not trying to change you, but I'm telling you that doesn't work when you're trying to go there. You can turn it off and turn it back on when you get home if you want to. But I found out that instead of fighting to look for my purpose, God gave me a set of experiences that I use for a skill set to help somebody else like me because that's what I found at my hand to do. So instead of looking all over the world for a purpose, where are you? Who, who crosses your path? That's what your purpose is. Deal with it right there. Shine where you are. Where, where's Joyce with the microphone? Okay. Okay, go ahead. I have a, a, the question I have is both of you have mentioned that there's been great loss or grief in your life. Um, having gone through quite a few losses, you know, of, of loved ones myself, I've run into people who get stuck in grief. And I see that you both are vibrant women who are living out your purpose for God. Can you just speak to how to live with the loss, love that loved one, and still move into the purpose that God has for you? How to live beyond loss. Well, I told y'all I love that boy, right? <laughs> he was killed on 41st and MLK at 32 years old in a car accident. And I love him as much today as I did then. But I had to find a way to move past. I had to really, knowledge is power. If you don't understand the process of grief, you're going to get stuck. And when you get stuck in one stage, the next stage is still waiting to come. You can get stuck for a long time. Um, but, so to process through your grief, let yourself cry. Let yourself hurt. It hurts to lose somebody. But at a certain point, I had to mentally say, his assignment is over and mine is not. So I keep it right here. He's with me all the time. But I was chosen to live. I have other people to touch. I have other things to do, and I can't do it if I sit around his grave and cry all day. One of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. See, you hear it in my voice. I love it. But one of the hardest things to do is walk away from the grave. I was chosen to live, so I have to live on and do what God called me to do. The Bible said we don't Amen. sorrow like people who have no hope. I know I'll see him again. I know he's waiting for me. So put it on the shelf. I don't think about it all the time. I don't keep a lot of pictures around me. In fact, I spoke to a girl who had a loss, um, and she was telling me that she still had her husband's medicine. I told the girl, take all that stuff down. <laughs> Put it away. That's not putting him away. See, if you're not careful, you'll be guilty. You'll have that survivor guilt. Like, am I just putting him away? I told her, no. Find a picture of you guys on a cruise or someplace happy. Take all that medicine down. Get rid of his clothes. Get rid of his stuff. That's over. Or you will be stuck. You can't hold on to it. It's, I told I said, and do what I did. When my husband was killed, I called his brothers. I said, come get his stuff. I'd pick the pieces, the few little things I would, mementos I would keep. I had a whole trunk full. And I let them come when I came home while everything was gone. But you have to walk away from the grave. Wonderful. So you can survive. It is not healthy. I talked to a mother who her son was killed and she still had his room exactly like it was when he died 10 years ago. Redecorate. I told the lady the other day, I said, buy a new comforter. Get rid of that one so that you can live 
God called us to live. So your purpose can be fulfilled. You don't get rid of them. That's not what I'm saying. But you have to find a place to put it safe and understand that the God, the Bible says, when he's absent from the body, he's present with him. Amen. Let's Amen. give the Lord a hand of praise for that. We, we have one here. Amen. Uh, in this room, I'm sure we have several different statuses, widowed, divorced, single, never married. Could you please give tips? Because a lot of women, or you know, and I work in the singles ministry, have questions about how to be satisfied or how to be free in whatever status that you're in. Gina Taylor. Gina, how old are you? I have really good experience with that. Um, <laughs> how old are you? I'll be 59 December the 7th. Let's, let's, let's hear from you. That was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask. You, you put, anyway, go ahead. Um, I don't know. I think I just, I just made up in my mind that um, while, yes, it is my heart's desire to uh, have a mate, um, to have a soulmate, that is my heart's desire, but I, I can't be stuck in a place where, I mean, if it doesn't happen, if it hasn't happened and it doesn't happen, then, I mean, what am I going to do? You know, I, <laughs> I have to still live my life, as she was talking about earlier. And, and that's what I do. I just live my life. I, I surround myself with um, great family and friends. I do just about anything that I want to do. I am free to <laughs> do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> What I'd like to do, I get to travel when I want to. I get to purchase clothes and don't have to hide them in the trunk of the car. I don't have to cook when I don't want to. I go to the movies. I go anywhere I want to go by myself, I go. I do it. I get... I get uh, admonished for that a lot. Why do you do this by yourself? Why are you doing that by yourself, Monica Whitehead Jefferson? Um, why, you know, they admonish me for that all the time. But I'm, I'm, I'm free in that. I, I don't have a problem with it. I don't have an issue with it. I, I believe God has built me to, to be that way. And I, I accept it. I'm good with it's it. It's called being comfortable in your own skin. It is. I'm, I'm free yeah. to be who I'm who I am. And she's really that way. And actually, Margaret, I'm glad that you uh, raised your hand because I was actually going to give you the microphone to ask you a question that I want you to answer for the audience. And then we'll come back to the question that you actually have. Not only do people allow certain things such as never been married, uh, never having kids, and, and I can you know be a part of that group as well, and how you've not allowed that to define you, um, I want to ask you a question, Margaret. Speak to, she's a wise person too. How, what tips would you give people to say, don't let your past define you? Because sometimes we've done things that we're not proud of or we've done things that have hindered us and um, that's, a, that's a daily fight sometimes that you have to, some, one of the ministers mentioned it, you know, you got your hands, you got your praise on, you got everything and they say, oh, you know you used to do so-and-so, you know. Speak to that. Amen. Um, I think it was, it was either said this morning or last night, maybe Pastor Tim said it, that you have to sometimes um, uh, just turn away and remember, you know, you don't forget the former things because they remind you of who God is. So I think I used the things in my past to remind me that I'm here because of God's grace and mercy. It's forever following me, forever behind me. And people will all, you know, this Savannah, for those of you who visited. Everybody in Savannah related. All you got to do is ask somebody about somebody, and they'll give you their whole life story. So in Savannah, your past is never your past if you allow it to be so. But because you know that God says that I have thrown those things into the sea of forgetfulness, never to rise up and harm you again, you have to constantly stand on the word. Because if you let people keep reminding you of who you used to be, you can never walk into those things that God has for you. And you will also, um, I think, um, I don't know who said it, but it's been said over the weekend, is that you have to turn your mind off. Because sometimes in the quiet and in the aloneness, you know, you have great dreams and great purpose and things I want to do. And that little voice will remind you of your past and say, you can't because... 
and you have to take the word and cast it down, take every thought captive, and remind them that, no, I'm God's child, and I can be whoever he said I can be with him. Wonderful. Now, did you have a question? I had a question, and my question was, knowing both of you, and Jenna, you kind of touched on it at the end, how much of who we are now is who God created us to be? Oftentimes, you know, I have to struggle with the fact that, you know, I'm loud, I'm aggressive, I'm, you know, I talk a lot, and sometimes people try to make that a bad thing, and um, God often reminds me, say, I made you like that for a reason. Don't let people change you because I created you. So how much of all those things and the way you've dealt with the loss and the, the, the good and the bad in your life and Gina, the, the being single and, and living your life alone and being happy about it, how much of that was built by God for you? What do you think? 100%. 100%. That's it. I think every experience I had, I can look back and say God's hand was on my life. Even walking through the valley of the shadow of death, mm. I had to walk through it. Today, I go to other people who are walking through the valley and say, come this way. Amen. Amen. We got two more questions we want to get because they're going to ring the bell on me in a minute. Let's get this lady right here. Is that Jewel? Yes, it's Jewel. Make yes. your question quick so we can get a bunch of questions. So good morning and, and uh, thank you. Um, i like to say my question to both of you ladies um, especially to uh, Minister Beverly about uh, being poor. Um, I was so poor, we couldn't afford the second O, so we said Po. <laughs> Growing, That's the, good. I'm the Hit old, that question quick, so they're going to ring the bell on me. Okay, I am um, learning about quality and realizing, you know, when you've found purpose and God has blessed you and blessed you over and over again, and to see those things come to pass. And now you're transitioning into another phase of your life. And it could be that you might be afraid of the success of that. How would you speak to that? I'm, I'm, I made a prototype of the books that the Lord told me to do and has given me. Okay, what's your question? So my question is, how do you respond to a transition? How did, yeah, just transition into what you want to do. Gina, take that real quick, because I got one more. I want to hear this one. Um, well, one of the things that we've, we've learned constantly through our, our, our pastor in terms of planning, having a plan. Um, so while, yes, you are, your, st your steps are being ordered by the Lord, you also should have a plan and use that plan to make your various transitions. Yes. And one of the things that I've seen uh, uh, in ministry and just dealing with people, sometimes we, and, and especially in our, our current culture, excellence is a big word. You know, you want, you want, all those things are good. It's, you want to be excellent. You want to do this. I want to go to the next step. We get so focused sometimes on moving to the next step. And what is it that God wants me to do that we don't even enjoy the journey. Life is a journey and you, and God gives us all these different experiences. You can't even experience being a supervisor because you want to be the CEO and to be a good CEO, you need to know what the people that the, the, the regular old working, working people go through. So, you know, what I say is just embrace the journey that God has given you. A prayer that I pray almost every day, God bless the work of my hands. Bless whatever my hands find to do. Let me be diligent with doing that. Let me do it with excellence. And so sometimes we'll get captivated with what is real quality, what is the, being your very best. Some days the, the, the thing that's quality and being your very best is to get up, put your game face on, comb your hair. That's a big one. Just comb your hair. It may not look like it today, but comb your hair. Look like you're ready for somebody. I used to work with someone, that, and, and they were big on dress code. They said, look, I need you to come to work every day. If I need to send you to go talk to the governor, I won't be shamed. So just get those basic things and work on that. Now, was that somebody else with a question? Sheila. Let me answer, say one more thing okay. to you. Okay, make it quick one now because I want to hear a question. That I found coming from the background I do, I have to be careful of my excesses. I have a tendency to what was most missing in my life when I was a kid, buying too much of it. Mm. Be careful of your ex excesses. Trying to overcompensate. Trying to overcompensate, that's it. Yes. Go ahead. My question is, um, how do you deal with family members? Well, my oldest sibling 
who is transitioning uh, the disease into Alzheimer's dementia. Bev, an older sibling, you're watching a family member transition into what seemingly may be Alzheimer's dementia. I think that um, I haven't had that experience, but my response to people, because you can notice over time when people are beginning to slip, be kind. Don't make them feel like they're losing it. Help them to feel like they're still okay. That's good. Love. Yep. Was there, was there one more? And back to um, uh, Jewel's point, too, in, in terms of um, addressing those things, of, of being raised poor and all that other stuff that you can look at. You know, I was raised in the country, but the country wasn't raised in me. So, you know, you can, you can move past all of that. You know, when she mentioned about uh, Ruth and her being a Moabite, she had everything, you know, set against you. And that's why we don't want to stereotype people. That's why we don't define people by, okay, well, you can't be a part of this club or this club and all of that. You know, you don't count people out because God is the one that's going to have the final say in your life when you trust him. Okay, was that someone else? Okay, quick. They're going to ring the bell on when you better say it quick. A quick question about the children. This question is for... This question is for... Okay, hold on one second. We're about to start a war here now. This is the freedom panel. Okay, where are we? Right okay, let's, let's get you, uh, that's Karen, and then we're going to come right back here. All right. Okay, this question is for Beverly. Um, talking about loss, uh, I was married for 26 years, and it's now eight years ago uh, that has passed. And how did you know when you're ready for that next phase? I pray about it. I've had two ducks that I had to turn away, and I, you know... I, I don't want to, I have that lonely spirit at times and I pray and ask God to take that away from me because, you know, I've been married since I was 18 years old and then at 45 to lose my husband and we were together for 26 years, you, you still have that feeling of, of love and, and, and loss at the t same time. So how did you know you was ready to move on to that next phase? How did you get the point you married Richard Davis? <laughs> Knowing you got out that boy still in your heart like that. That's a good question, Sheila. One does not conflict with the other. Amen. They're not in competition. It's okay to love your dead husband and love somebody else too. I don't feel constrained by my love of, if you're not careful, you get mixed up. I'm not mixed up. I'm not constrained by my love of Paul Washington that I'm not able to love somebody else. When are you ready? I think the next day, but you have to mentally get your <laughs> really gone. But here's the thing. Y'all get back on this freedom train. <laughs> get back on the freedom train. <laughs> you are ready. When you, you are ready, when you can love another man like he deserves to be loved, like God called you to love him, without restraint or constraints from a former relationship. Have mercy. Have mercy. Okay, we got one right here. Say it quick. Um, this is about children. Um, as a parent, how do we deal with children that are teenagers with addiction, whether it's sex and drugs, you know, the kids that are on medication, we have children that are sexually desiring at 10, 11, 12. As a parent, how do we deal with those trends of young children today? Like, what are some of the tips that we can um, help them? Gina? Oh, Beverly? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my thought. There were some things my mother could help me with. And there were some things I had to walk through myself. There were some decisions once I got to be an age where I could act on my own that I made. Your job as a parent is to teach them, to talk to them, to pray for them, to keep them on the altar. That's what Job did. The Bible said Job was offering up offerings for his children when they were over at the party. He was at, that's what the words say. 
My job as a parent, they belong to God. Again, commend them to him. Make sure they have enough information. If it's an, uh, uh, an addiction, get them some help. Get them professional help. But there's a, at, when, a, when a child reaches a certain age, there's only so much you can do because they have free will. So you do Don't what give you up can on do them. and release yourself. Don't give Sandra Demetrius, I know that was your hand. Okay, I, I could tell her about her hair. Hurry. All right. Hello. Okay, so um, as a single person, because I am still single at 35, which is still young, but, you know. But um, <laughs> don't try to fix it. That's your question. <laughs> okay. So I've been placed recently um, in a group of women that I first, you know, didn't really think about, but I realized as a single person, I can really pour a lot of love into the women that are in my life. And so my question is, how can I um, develop, like, how to um, really love a sister, like share a story or a lesson that you might have learned in how to have a close, inter intimate relationship with other women, being that God had placed women in my life at this season. Okay, I know what y'all thinking. <laughs> what she's saying is how, I'm thinking what she's saying is, right. are you asking how to give of yourself yeah. in relationships being single? Right. I mean, just because, you know, I'm learning that as a, you know, I'm always thinking about the intimate relationship that you have with a man and all that stuff. But, you know, I'm manless at this point. So and I have other <laughs> women that are around me that still need my love and just how to really love women and maybe share a lesson that you might have learned in having, you know, relationship with your sisters or your friends or something that might be able to encourage me um, just to share myself a little bit more or share my heart or how to love other women. Other women. How to be in good relationship? Yeah, like a good friends. friend. Like a friend. Yeah. Y'all, yeah. this is Savannah. Oh, oh, I mean, not. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, it's okay. I'm I'm trying, I'm, I got you. That. Listen, <laughs> she's like a daughter to me. I know what she's what she asking. And she's and she yeah. real smart, too. <laughs> yeah, just being in good. You know what? As women, that's, that's one of the things we talk about a lot in Ladies Only Ministry how to. Be supportive of one another, how to love one another, how to be in good relationships, and, and just have good relationships and being able to share. Gina, how have you remained single? You say you're 59? I'll be 59 in December. She, what day is your birthday? 7th. Okay, she takes presents. Okay, December 7th. And, uh, but how have you just been in good, do you have good female relationships? I, I really do. I have really great uh, female relationships, and I think it's... Um, the people that, the women that I'm in good relationships with are women that I have commonalities. We have commonalities. And we, ha we share uh, some of the same kinds of uh, thoughts and uh, beliefs and values and have some of the same type of interests. Uh, one of, one, a really dear friend of mine um, who was really like a sister to me and, and died um, and... You know, even when I met her and how we came into each other's lives, it was always, you know, why, why, why? Um, and, I mean, it was uh, instant. It was automatic. We just became like sisters. And um, after she died, I really realized my reason for being in her life and why I had some of the experience that I had earlier in my life. And now her daughters are like my nieces. And, um, but these, I don't have a really big, you know, you have an inner circle of girlfriends. And then there are others outside of that circle. But the ones that I'm really close to, we share commonalities. We have shared commonalities, and that's how the friendships have been, have been built. Right. And, and that particular friend has passed. Yes. 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 And uh, some of her words to you about her daughters. Um, well... Her daughters, actually, I think probably was one of the other reasons that um, I was brought into her life because when I met them, they were two little girls that came up to me in a, in a church service and said, can you come go home with us? And I'm like, I don't know, y'all. <laughs> you know, I don't know, y'all. And um, But, you know, from that moment on, we had a 
sister relationship and her daughters have always been like nieces to me and we still I still have that relationship with her daughters and she has shared a whole lot with me in the time that she was living and in our our friendship and relationship that I know that the kinds of things that she would want and the kind of relationships that she would want for her daughters does that help Sandra okay wonderful one okay I told y'all they was going to ring the bell. Do I have one? Can I get one more question, Ashley? No? She said one? One? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> one, whoever can jump up and say it. Who has a microphone? Come on. And, and, and again, too, just ask the question. Don't try to fix it. Just ask the question. Um, this is for uh, Minister Beverly. My mother's in her 70s, and I'm trying to get her to do more activities and take classes. She lives in West Savannah, so she has access to the Moses Jackson Center. So what days do you teach there? And Monday she is through the Thursday. best in Savannah. I'm there Monday through Thursday from 9.30 to 12.30. She's welcome to send it to me. And knowing some of her track record, if you can't pass the GED or whatever, once you're on the bev, if you can't pass it, it's a wrap. <laughs> she is good. Did y'all enjoy this? Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful.